Today's passage is from Luke 12, verses 13 to 21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus of grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Well, we continue our reading in James chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 1 through 6. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in these last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fatted yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered innocent men who were not opposing you. At, uh, At Hope Church, we've been going through the letter of James. And James is pretty forthright. And... He was writing to the churches, the Christian churches, scattered around the Roman Empire. And he was trying to teach them practical, down-to-earth teaching that will equip them on how they could follow Jesus in the world in which they lived. Through all sorts of types of situations and challenges, James brought practical wisdom to bear on the church. And he reminds us, that we need to ask God for wisdom when it comes to living for him. We need God's wisdom. We need to be people that are slow to speak and quick to listen. We're people that are to be not partial, but able and willing and ready to treat everybody equally. And above all, we must obey the royal law to love our neighbours as ourselves, extending mercy and 
and blessing to others and to do what is right. James has got many confronting things to give us in this letter. He's got many confronting things to say. But there's no more confronting teaching than what we find here in James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James addresses people who've got their wealth by ill-gotten means, by fraudulent means. And so he's talking to these rich people, but the question is, who are these rich people that James is addressing? Because you sort of need to know that in order to apply it appropriately and correctly. Uh, Is he talking to ordinary Christians? Is he talking to believers here? That's an important question to answer. In other parts of James's letter, when he's speaking to the church, he'll say, dear brothers, or we could put it, dear brothers and sisters, obey this teaching or practice this. He says it in, in chapter 4, verse 11, where he says there, brothers, do not stand on one another. In chapter 5, verse 7, he says, be patient then, brothers. In verse 10, he says, Um, Brothers, as an example, so he's addressing the church by saying brothers or brothers and sisters. But here in James chapter 5, he's addressing a different category of people. James is pronouncing God's judgment on scheming wealthy people. These are people who have rejected God's laws and who have crushed the, the broken and the needy. You know, Jesus did that too in his ministry. There were times where he addressed people in their villages where they weren't around him. He was addressing these different types of people during his ministry. He, in the presence of his disciples, he criticized and condemned the towns and the, and the villages of Chorazin and Bethsaida and, and Capernaum because of their pride and their lack of repentance. And he said, it's going to be terrible for you on the day of judgment. And Jesus is sort of here, rather James is here, doing the same sort of thing. He's saying, listen up, you ungodly, wealthy, rich people. You fraudsters. He says, weep and wail. He's saying, howl, because misery is coming your way. Why did did James say that? Well, he said it because God has a deep concern for the poor. God hates injustice. He hates abuse of the needy. Listen to what the prophet Jeremiah said in chapter 22. Woe to him who builds his palace by unrighteousness, his upper rooms by injustice, making his countrymen work for nothing, not paying them for their labor. And the prophet Malachi, God said, I will come near to you for judgment. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers and adulterers and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, who oppress the widows and the fatherless and deprive aliens of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. James gives us two reasons why God's condemnation would come on these people, on these rich, wealthy people. 
He said God condemns, condemns two things, hoarding and defrauding. Because those rich people were, were gathering all this wealth for themselves only. They were gathering all this wealth so they could go on living in self-centered luxury. And they were cheating field workers out of their pay and oppressing innocent people. And God hates both those sins. God hates, James says, hoarding. He says in verse 3, you have hoarded wealth in these last days. The rich, wealthy landowners were making money. They were gathering and controlling markets. They were building up more and more revenue for themselves. And when poor, independent farmers faced famine or drought, these rich people could weather the storms and dip into their reserves and then buy out the poor people and use them and abuse them. Jesus' parable of the rich landowner pictures that same sort of self-hoarding. The landowner had a bumper crop. He built these huge storehouses to put all the grain that he collected and harvested into. But that wasn't his problem. It was that he was really wanting to just have all those funds for himself. To live life easy, take it easy and drink and be merry. But Jesus called him a fool. You're a fool. Because he wasn't rich toward God. He selfishly hoarded all this stuff for himself. Now nowhere in the Bible that I can see does God condemn wealth in and of itself. It's not wrong to plan and save and to save wealth so that you can provide for your family in the future and you can have funds stored up during tough, tight times. There were many people in the scriptures that were wealthy. Think of Job, who owned so much. Or Abraham. Or King David, or King Solomon. There were many rich people in the New Testament too, people like Lydia, who were very well off. The Bible doesn't condemn wealth in and of itself, the Bible condemns wealth that is hoarded for self-centered living. For living in a self-centered luxury. So we've got to ask ourselves, don't we? Am I hoarding up wealth for myself? When I prepare my budget and prepare funds for my budget, am I prayerfully thinking about how I can generously give to God's kingdom and to the needy and to the poor. James is saying, don't be foolish. Don't hoard all your wealth in these last days before Jesus comes again. Because wealth on earth, rather, wealth on earth is vulnerable. Moths eat clothes. Figuratively speaking, gold and silver corroded by theft, they're stolen and taken away. That lavish food that you provide for yourself, that humongous supply of provisions can quickly turn into famine. So don't hoard wealth for yourself. Let's take James' warning very seriously. Because on the day of judgment, 
those who selfishly hoarded their wealth for self-indulgence, James says, will face the fire of God's holy judgment. It's serious. And we need to think about these things. The second sin that James condemns and confronts is defrauding. He says, look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. People all over the world have been defrauded and enslaved. Slavery is in an ancient and brutal practice and it's still rampant today with more than 40 million people living as slaves in our world today. I've got a picture here of Kazi in India. Local, local officials came to, his, to visit his village. This 70-year-old took his one chance and threw himself before the officials, pleading that they would rescue him from years of relentless slave owner control. Along with his family, he was forced to gather wood with dull tools and sometimes just their bare hands. Kazi's son-in-law was the landowner and kept 13 impoverished families trapped with violence and by manipulating loans that he'd taken. Debts as small as 20 bucks, 20 Australian dollars, trapped Kazi into 15 years of bonded slavery. Every day, the families faced unspeakable cruelty and deprivation, from racist verbal tirades to physical beatings for working too slowly, to starvation and dehydration as punishment. And their 16 children in the, in the group never went to school. A woman had to give birth in the open field. And one woman later shared, it was like we were living in hell all these years. We didn't dare try to escape, because if we did, they might catch our relatives and force them to work. They have people everywhere. So international justice mission supported government officials mounting two simultaneous rescue operations at the rural fields where these slaves were enslaved. And as soon as the district officers entered the worksite, these abused and defrauded workers flocked to them, subsequently freed and were returned to their villages. And see, James is pronouncing the strongest judgment of God on these sort of landowners, on these sort of abusers and slave, slave traders. And then he says to them, misery is coming your way. Your wealth that you've stacked up against, that wealth that you've stacked up will be used as testimony against you in God's court of law on judgment day. He says, you may be living in luxury now, but the wages you failed to pay the workmen have reached the ears of God who is the Lord Almighty, the Lord of heavenly armies. Your financial luxury will be used as evidence against you. Your assets will become your great liability. And the wealth that you have will be used to testify against you on the day that God comes to judge. In God's eyes, James says, you're like a fattened calf ready for slaughter. Why? because you've defrauded people into poverty. In your greed, 
you've robbed them of life. I mean, these are devastating words, aren't they? These are confronting words. And it's easy for us to sit here and think, well, you know, I'm, he's not talking about me. I'm not that. I don't have slaves working for me. That's not my world. And maybe it's not. But surely we should think seriously about what James says here. We should reflect on our own lives. Have I in any way used fraudulent means to get rich? Am I in any way neglecting to do good to my neighbor? Because James said earlier in chapter 4 verse 17, anyone then who knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Rather than neglecting the need We must daily seek to live and give generously. So ask yourself, am I living the royal law in scripture? Am I loving my neighbor as myself? And maybe you can prayerfully develop a giving plan about how you will practically give to those in need. What, what can you do? Each of us are in a different stage of life. Each of us have different capabilities. But the question is, am I living that sort of giving life? And if we're not doing that, if we're just acquiring stuff for ourselves, if my budget doesn't in any way reflect God's kingdom work and the mercy of ministry that he commands me to, then I've got to wonder, I've got to ask myself, is my heart really changed? Has the grace of God really penetrated my life? Have I really submitted everything to Jesus, even my finances? Because the fact is, Jesus was motivated to to love you and to extend mercy and justice for you. He came to save you. He came to rescue you from your sin. He saw the way in which your sin had left you condemned and facing God's certain judgment that your selfishness and pride and your self-centered hoarding would testify against you. So Jesus came and offered his life for yours. He died for your wrongdoing. He died for mine so that we could be forgiven and set free to a new life of generous giving and blessing of others. Jesus offered his own life. He gave everything he could for us so that we could be forgiven, that we could enter into the the joy and wonder of the generous love of God that is able to give us new life for eternity. So the call for us today is make sure today that you're right with God. That you've asked him for the forgiveness of your sins, for your selfish hoarding, for all those ways in which you've fallen short of his commands. And get active in giving. Give to your local church's ministry. Give to the poor and needy. Make ways that you can give and give generously. Because our world says you just need more stuff, you don't need more stuff. 
You need to see the grace of God and be able to generously give what he's given you to others. So in our materialistic world, church, let's aim to live simply. Let's aim to buy ethically, to cultivate contentment in our lives, to pursue mercy, to seek justice for the oppressed. And let us support those Christian organizations that seek to bring freedom to those who are enslaved, to bring justice for the oppressed, that we might be a people in whom the truth of Micah 6 is lived out. Let us act justly. Let us love to extend mercy to all people and especially to those who belong to the household of believers. And let me close by reading these words from Isaiah 58. Where the Lord says to you, No, this is the kind of fasting I want. Free those who are wrongly imprisoned. Lighten the burden of those who work for you. Let the oppressed go free. And remove the chains that bind people. Share your food with the hungry. And give shelter to the homeless. Give clothes to those who are in need of them. And do not hide from your relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. Your godliness will lead you forward and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Let's pray. And we confess, Lord, that these are confronting truths. But what's more important is your heart for the lost and for the broken and the needy. And we ask you, Lord Jesus, that you would give us your heart. You would give us eyes to see the need and a willing hand to give the help that's required. May your mercy and justice be seen in us. May we be a people, Lord, that reflect the gracious, merciful love of God. And give us opportunity and a readiness to give generously to those in need. And thank you, Lord, with all our hearts that you ministered to our greatest need, our need of forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the price for our wrongdoing. And we pray that, Lord, today you would refresh our mind and our heart and our will to fervently live for you and to do what is good and to live the royal law for Jesus' sake. Amen.